Welcome to Collision's YYC, Beyond the Echo. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. A warm collision's Beyond the Echo. Welcome to Mr. Hilton Barber. How are you, Hilton? Good morning. Good morning, Tyler. Always good to be with you, mate. Thanks, man. I know. It's same old story. I got to push the record button because, you know, I, I think we've had 10 minutes of gold already and, we're, and, and, the, and the day is, and the episode is young. <laughs> Well, let's see where uh, I, we can take it. Let's see where yes, we can take I, uh, it. Let, 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 let the adventure begin and we'll let the audience in on, uh, on, on the journey and the fun that I know you and I are going to have. Hilton, you're calling in from, uh, you're based in Toronto, correct? I am indeed. Sunny Beaches, the Beaches neighborhood in Toronto. Though, as I look out the window of my home office, it's a balmy minus five, which I appreciate for Calgarians is, is the midst of summer, but I'm still, uh, I'm still struggling a little bit with that. Anyone who's listening will know we just had the uh, Sunday plus 16, plus 18 degrees, followed by the following morning, windstorm and minus 10. So yes, you're, you were bang on with your like, oh yeah, don't, just in case kids, you thought summer was here, bang. But that's uh, that's the Calgary journey. And Hilton, you have a little bit of a connection to Calgary. You've done some work here. You've got some, part of Beyond the Echo is reaching out beyond our walls to, you know, taking a trip outside the village and get some perspectives and bring it back. But you also have a bit of a connection to Calgary. So, and I know you've worked with some companies here and have a, you're not, you're not just, you're not just a guy in Toronto. Look at, looking across the country at us, right? No, Calgary is one of my favorite cities in Canada. And that's not surprising, as you can probably detect from the accent. I'm from Southern Africa. So I have an immediate affinity for any city that likes beef and likes steak. <laughs> so Calgary immediately jumps to the head of the queue in Canada for me on that vector alone. But I have had the opportunity to work with some of the great companies in Calgary. Uh, smart technology being one, Shaw Communications being another that spring immediately to mind. So, yes, visited your fantastic city numerous times, ideally in the summer, but occasionally I have been called to come there in the midst of winter. And I must tell you, I was very quick to rush back to the airport in the midst of a Calgarian winter. Just for anyone who doesn't know, winters in Toronto aren't super awesome either. To be like, I know you're painting. I know you said that you're in the beaches and it sounds very, you know, romantic and warm and sandy. But uh, January, that air, that wind coming off the lake is a real thing. Anyways, it's it's a damp cold. But anyways, I won't I won't milk that joke too far. <laughs> I grew up in Montreal, so I, I, I'm with you. I never go back east the winter if I can avoid it because, man, the wet and the damp. But Calgary, you can have a minus 30 day, but it's sunny. You know, it's dry. Everyone's okay. <laughs> Anyways, we've done our mandatory Canadian weather talk. So, hey, uh, professional creeper over here, looked at your LinkedIn profile. You got It's a bit of a who's who for the big agency world. And for those of us in marketing, which I, I live my, a lot of my life there, you've kind of worked with all the big players from Gray to even recently with Zulu. But that's not where we're not here to talk about marketing today. We're here about culture. So maybe a little curious your background and how you found yourself in this intersection. And I've watched a couple of your talks where marketing and culture and the balance, but it seems like culture is where you're spending your time these days and kind of hanging your hat of this, this, this infinite, this amorphous thing that actually has the most impact on your success. So I have in my, my career, you're right, is, is a lot of agency time. I'm currently a VP at a, at a B2B startup in, in Toronto called Cognitive. So marketing is you know, it's in my blood, but uh, this intersection of culture is something that probably is, has been an area of focus for me probably over the last five years. And I came to it, I would say quite accidentally, truth be told. I'd love to paint a romantic picture of how I stumbled into this, this wonderful world of culture. But about five years ago, I, I was struck 
um, as I sort of look back on my career at many of the times that agency folks go into a client organization or even marketers inside their own organization come up with these wonderful creative ideas, wonderful, amazing things that we want to take to the market and take to consumers. And what often happens is you have a client stare at you across the top of the desk and say, you mean we have to execute that here inside this environment? We've got to get that done inside here. And that's, to me, having had that happen a couple of times, I sort of struck on this this notion of if we're asking clients to change, and inevitably some of the most provocative creative you do out there does require a degree of change, does require a degree of confidence on the client's part. And that ability to understand how change happens or to give your clients a comfort in making those changes was something that initially intrigued me. Having done some work then in in change management, I went out and did some certification to try to understand how change happens. I bumped into this into this world of culture that sort of sits alongside change. And again, it was one of those epiphanies. As I look back over my career, and there's been a couple of high and low points in terms of that culture piece. It sort of it was one of those moments of epiphany for me. And the epiphany really was culture is such a incredible uh, accelerant or impediment to any strategy that a company is trying to execute, that it behooves any marketer to try to understand that. What is it that's going to accelerate or impede delivering this strategy? And marketing has a big role to play in that. And if it's this thing called culture, shouldn't we know a bit more about it? Shouldn't we participate a bit more in it? And shouldn't we understand how to leverage it so those strategies that we're coming up with have a heightened chance of succeeding? I think as any marketer listening, when you've presented a campaign and you are met with like, and it's the best and you're excited and you've done the work and you sit there and you see the look on the face of like, oh, I like it, but... I'm assuming the same kind of mindset is coming over how many executive teams and whether you're in Calgary being forced with the you know deep economic transformation we've had or almost anywhere now where change in the last year due to COVID is being accelerated. How many executive teams I, I would imagine are sitting around thinking the same thing of like, I have this great strategy. We've gone away. We've worked with the consultants. We've done the work. I've rolled it out to the team. And all of a sudden I see the eye roll in the corner of the room and I see the hands go across. And it, that's such an interesting, you know, just the comparison as a marketer, I think you get to encounter it frequently, especially as the agency coming into a company and maybe not knowing all those nuances. But I would imagine there's a significant amount of leadership teams that are sitting around feeling the, the same way, probably now now more than ever. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's it's not surprising. The, you know, the scenario that you just painted, Tyler, I think is often what happens in terms of strategy. You know, there is an executive offsite. We sit around, we have whiteboards, we draw Venn diagrams because no strategy without a Venn diagram is worth the paper it's printed on. And then we come back to an organization that has history. You know, they come, we come back to an organization and they say, you brought one of these last year and told us it was brilliant. And then when we try to execute it, you know, you ended up firing 20 of my friends or shutting down that, that, that mm-hmm. business unit or it under-delivered against 
the expectations. So please tell me why I should believe you this time. And again, I think there's often there's, there's that sort of misunderstanding of what culture is. And I have no doubt we're going to get into that conversation uh, because it <laughs> excellent, is... Excellent segue, sir. Yeah, you, you'd think we would have planned this ahead of time. But, you know, the interesting thing is the intersection between strategy and culture is so critical. And as you said, particularly now in COVID, where everybody is dealing with substantial changes in their category, in their businesses, and trying to determine how can we succeed without perhaps giving enough uh, acknowledgement to the impact of culture on that success. It's not enough to have a great strategy if you can't execute it. And again, I think it's the execution part where culture has a significant impact, the execution of your strategy. Well, the top word, top, the top P words for twenty for twenty twenty pandemic followed quickly by pivot, <laughs> I think would be the second most popular P word <laughs> that most companies are are dealing with. When I think about, I'm thinking about culture, and I, again, I'm coming at this from my own like, yeah, I can see my own world, I can see you know clients, I can go away for a weekend and come back with a strategy. It's I don't think I can go away from a, for a weekend with a consultant and come back with a new culture. So it feels like you need to have done that culture work long before you ever go on that corporate retreat. Like if you're in this middle of like, holy hell, I thought things were awesome. And now, you know, in Calgary, arguably, there's been a lot of change happening for a period of time. The pandemic just kind of, that was another left hook when we were already back. We we're already in the corner getting rope doped. Yeah. But I guess thinking from your perspective, if like uh, it's, it's, it's reminding me of the, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, but if not then, how about today? I would assume mm -hmm. culture, how do you get those in sync when you know you need to make a change from a strategy perspective, but you, you're not, your team isn't ready or not able to execute because your culture isn't one that supports that? Like, how do you go about unpacking and, and kind of reformatting that problem? So I think there's a, there's a couple of critical or almost fundamental things to acknowledge. I think the very first thing is your culture has a history. I think first and foremost, your, your culture is something that is built over time. And therefore, there's a chronology of events that have created the way your culture believes and subsequently will act. There are things that have happened in the, in the history of an organization. Even an organization that's been around for two years, there have been episodes, milestones, highs and lows, where the culture takes those as signals and signs of how things occur and what happens when we act in a certain way. So I think that's the one thing to acknowledge. Therefore, you know, your culture is also not static. It is evolving at all times because, again, it is constantly buttressed by this information coming in from the organization. When I as an individual or we as a team do this, what happens? How does the organization react? Do they react with joy or do they act with derision? So again, I think that the notion of your culture is not a static thing sitting on a shelf waiting for you to come and sort of uh, morph it and mold it into whatever you want. It's constant. It's constantly looking for signs. And I, t and I take a lot of the sort of thinking from, you know, a, a gentleman in, in San Francisco called Stan Slap, who's got a very interesting perspective on, on, on culture, which is very much this notion of your culture is a living, breathing organism because it's composed of the humans inside your organization. 
So if you think of it as a living organism, it very much is like any organism looking to its environment and saying, will I be safe if I do this? Am I going to be exposed if I do that? Can I act with a degree of certainty when I decide to behave in a certain way? This is not unusual. This is, again, as anthropologists would say, that's how any culture forms. Any friendship, any team forms in the same way. But getting back to your question, I think the very first thing is acknowledging, firstly, your culture is built over time. Your culture is it's not static, it is continuously growing, evolving. And the other thing is, executives typically are probably the least objective about the cultures that they have. And again, I think that's a critical point to take in, into consideration, is that what they may believe is the culture and the resilience and adaptability of the culture, I think is often, is often missed because they don't objectively understand what the culture itself thinks and believes. So first and foremost, get an objective view on your culture. And then you can start to talk about what do we need to modify, refine, change, or do differently. I can only assume that this is, it's funny, I have memories of having someone in my leadership team say something to me like, well, this is what people believe here. Or, well, you know that this is the, this is the main thing we care about. And then, then as a leader, sometimes you're like, where did that even come from? Like there, there is that sense of, I don't even recall ever saying that. I don't think anyone here has ever gotten in trouble for doing that, but yet there's a fear around it. And that's that interesting piece where you can quickly almost feel defensive around it as a leader like well no that's not how it is here <laughs> that doesn't change anything i've learned o over time so i love the you can't see the label when you're inside the bottle so this isn't something that clearly you're in your recommendation the executive quote-unquote has to go away and fix but they need to be open and highly recommending that external bringing someone in from the outside to be objective because you're arguably not you're too close to it and i and i think that um, that objectivity is something look, there are there's a number of great analytic tools out there. There are a number of mm. spectacular consultancy organizations that that work in this space and do this space. And I think that has to be almost be the critical first step. Do we have the confidence? And again, I would put this in the frame of COVID. Do we have the vulnerability to accept that the culture we believe we have may not be the culture we actually have? But if and this is step two, if we believe that culture can have that significant impact, isn't it in our best interest to get the most objective view on it rather than that subjective perspective we may have as an executive team? Again, I'm always struck by, and though I can understand the rationale, but I'm always struck by, why wouldn't you do that work? You would do that work if we were talking about financial assets. You would do an audit of, of your organization if you were trying to change your position financially. So why wouldn't you look at your people as this incredible resource, this incredible asset that is capable of anything, anything at all? Why wouldn't you want to understand what's getting in the way of them bringing all of that creativity, all of that talent, all of that brilliance to the table every day. Wouldn't you want to know? 
yes. So why, why, why do we resist? <laughs> that obvious next question, because that's a, is it fluffy? Is it, I can't put my hand around it? Do I not feel it's analytical and structured enough and it's too messy because it is humans? What do you, you know, obviously you've spent the last five years and spent a lot of time in large pitch environments watching it happen to you back and forth. What, what is it that holds us back as leaders from engaging and doing that hard? And, and sometimes, you know, it's hard to wrap your heads, your hands around because it's a lot of qualitative soft, soft stuff you're talking about, although incredibly important. So, so I would lean into Tom Peters and say, this isn't, this isn't soft stuff at all. This is the hardest thing to do that delivers the hardest impact. End of story. So again, I you know I'm not going to lay claim to that. Tom Peters had said that more eloquently and probably with way less ambiguity than I ever will. So there's certainly I think that's the first thing. I think this notion of culture as this soft, amorphous, fluffy thing uh, is a herd of BS. Frankly, it isn't. I think we conveniently bundle it into. Well, my culture is about foosball tables, beer cart Fridays, and everybody high-fiving as they come into work in the morning. That's not. That's the outcome of your culture. That's not your culture. You know, it's like profit is an outcome of running your company effectively. A culture, and again, I'm going to leverage Stan Slap here. The best culture you can look for is a culture that's committed and I'd ask all the people listening to this to hone in on that word, committed. Is your culture committed to the success of your organization? Is your culture committed to delivering customer service in a way that will set you apart from your competition? Is your culture committed to be responsive to internal requests to collaborate, to help other teams out? Are they committed to doing that? That's the benchmark that you should be looking for. What's the level of commitment my culture has to do what we need to get done? And if you change that thinking in your head from, I want a great committed culture, it turns it into, that's a business imperative, not a warm and fuzzy thing that says, can we get a few more foosball tables in here and make sure that we have vegan muffins on a Friday? It changes, the, it changes the definition, and I think therein it changes the imperative to get it done properly. That the food, the foosball table example, and it feels like you know popular media picked that up, you know, a bunch of years ago. The whole Silicon Valley story and all the, uh, and just it seemed like it was easy signaling of things must be awesome. Look, they have a foosball table, and it's you know I've been to offices where they would point it out, like you know I've got features and benefits to it. Well, you can see here that we're cool because we have this area that cool things happen in, and then you look around, you'd see people head down. There was nobody talking. There was no music. You're like, hmm, doesn't seem like it seems like they're almost in contrast. But it was such an easy way to kind of it, it became a box checking exercise in my mind mm -hmm. well I, I i talk about this and again I'm, I'm putting this through the lens of committed but i remember listening to a speech once by uh, the head of innovation at 3m now we can debate if there's a more innovative company on the planet than 3m but this gentleman stood up and he said my entire job as the head of innovation here is to create more share of shower amongst the people on my team. And again, as a marketer, you sit and you listen to share of anything and you get excited. You're like, oh my God, how do we do that? And his point was, 
people as a stereotype are most creative in the shower. I think we'd, we'd consider that there's that sort of romantic notion of moments of eureka, literally, happen in the bath or the shower. And he said, if I can create an environment where my people are thinking about our biggest challenges off the book, not nine to five when they come into the office, but they are so challenged and so committed and so wonderfully engaged in what we're trying to get done here, that they're thinking about our challenges in the shower, then I've done my job. And that was a remarkable visceral uh, metaphor for me. I thought, wow, if you can imagine how many members of senior leadership teams across the country wish that their people would wake up in the morning and be thinking about the challenges that they have ahead of them and committing that discrete time, the time that they could be thinking about anything else, picking up the kids, what's for dinner, should I send my girlfriend flowers? They could be thinking about anything else. But if they were thinking about the challenges of your company and how to solve them, that would be something any leadership team would give their eye teeth for. A friend of mine, senior HR strategist, years and years in, in the human side, and she said, Tyler, she always says to me, she goes, discretionary effort. Your team will apply it, and then they will, they will retract it based on exactly the type of response they get from that. They do what they believe was extra, and they somehow become scorned for it or don't get... What they were looking for is the outcome. She said it's the it's the it's the thing that can ten x your company or can hurt you immediately. And it's you know discretionary efforts. I'm I just comparing that with commitment. Something she's always said to me for years. She goes, one thing I've learned about people where you're going to get your value is in that space. And I, I've never, the sheriff shower. That's awesome. I can remember that because it is very visceral. Like how many people can get in? How big is this shower? How weird is this going to get? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's another podcast where we could get into that entire conversation, but. I guarantee you know, there's I, a podcast that goes down that road for sure. <laughs> I, I think that's you, a, on an upcoming Rogan episode, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but your 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 HR colleague is absolutely correct. You know, I think when we talk about employee engagement, and you know, that's a that's a broad sweeping term that that's often used. But I think we lose ourselves in things like employee engagement surveys, et cetera, et cetera. If we don't get to the core of what's the level of commitment our people have here and what's impeding them giving their full and unbridled commitment, what are we putting in the way of that? Is that process? Is that bureaucracy? Is that a, an environment of fear where speaking up or speaking out gets you loudly slapped about the ears? Who knows? But I think, again, Particularly, and again, we're always going to come back to right now in the pandemic with the need to change, transform, adapt, create new organizations, create new ways of working. Again, if you don't know at the core, what does your culture feel? What does your culture believe? Why does it believe those things? Then I'm not sure that you can make the changes required. What you can do is come and talk to the culture and shouted it and say, I need you to do more. Where's more discretionary income? Sorry, discretionary input. And they'll say- It hopefully leads to more discretionary income. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I get where you're going. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I, and again, yeah. I think that's it. If you don't understand why, the belie why they believe the way that they do, what it is that they believe right now, and what were the examples in the past that made them think 
that this was the way to believe. If you don't know those three things, I really don't know how you can genuinely make the changes required. Just becomes another PowerPoint strategy that, you know, I think I read somewhere is, is the best strategy ever written on the best document ever printed. But yet again, it's the, uh, uh, here, here we go. So as a, you know, I've always heard, again, surveys, engagements, employee engagements, the, the danger of a survey, of sending out yet an, another survey. So if you were consulting with a company mid-size, 50 to 100 employees, we'll just pick a manageable number to get people's heads wrapped around it. Where do you start? Is it like, is it just having conversations as a leadership team? Is it getting out there? Is it sending out a, a survey? Like we get down into the, the pragmatic, tactical, like what do I do next week? Because a lot of comp- people are probably listening going, oh yeah, you know what? This is resonating. Where do I actually begin? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send another survey out, <laughs> which I've, I, survey fatigue is a real thing from employees' perspectives as well. No, 100%. And again, I, you know, I don't want to bash surveys. I mean, they're a legitimate and genuine <laughs> research enough. tool. You know, um, And I certainly don't want a bunch of market researchers standing outside my desk with pitchforks and fires. You know, trying to. But Hilton, that burn. means they were listening. So you know, I'm okay. I'm oh, okay to risk a few, you know, you know flaming bags of whatever on my front steps. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I I very much look forward to be the first fatality amongst your podcast guests. So thank you very much well, for that. Not, I, I was thinking more bumps and bruises, like you know, mm-hmm. more, maybe more, maybe more like you know, emotionally scarred. Anyway, let's not. Let's not. We can we can fill out the waivers afterwards. <laughs> so, so there is absolutely. So the short answer is. There are a number of fantastic uh, culture analytical tools that do include surveys, not surprisingly, because at scale, that's the most effective and efficient way of getting and garnering input. So there's a lot of really great analytical tools out there that can get, again, back to that objectivity. But the two points would be, like any research, you want quantitative and you want quantitative. And again, the notion of getting your people in the room to talk about, let's talk about the last five years. For example, what were the high points? What did you take away from that moment of success? What did you take away from that moment where we shut down a branch plant or, you know, we let go a leader? What did you take from that? What did you believe it signaled about this organization? Because again, and you you mentioned it yourself, Tyler, And I think every executive team in the world would probably nod to this. There's what the executive team knows, there's what the executive team communicates, and there's what the culture believes. You know, sometimes those three aren't aligned. You know, the classic example is, you know, imagine a meeting where somebody talks about, you know, a new business strategy. And then in the town hall says, I invite questions from the floor. Somebody puts up their hand and says, I have a question. I'm not sure that's going to work. And everybody looks around and goes, you know, there's John being John. He's always with the great questions. Two weeks later, John is let go from the company for any number of reasons, any number of reasons. You know, he could have been embezzling. He could have been doing something untoward with his EA. He could just not have hit his sales numbers. But everybody hears... John was let go. And then they go back to their town hall moments and they go, didn't John ask that really tough question? Oh, maybe I shouldn't ask tough questions. So let's not ask tough questions again. Because what happened to John, they take as a signal of what happens to people who ask tough questions. 
And that's not surprising. We can't sit as an executive team and go, I wonder why they would think that. It's obvious. <laughs> well, back to the anthropological approach, anthropological approach that you said earlier, like we're all looking for like, how do we survive and thrive and how do we not get eaten? You know, basically, if you go back to the root of it, we're always looking for those signals and that, you know, inside that, that tribe, inside that village, which is your company. Mm -hmm. 100%. And again, you know, not, not to belabor it, that's why it's so critical to get to the root of what do you believe today and what has given you those signals that that's what you should believe. And again, it, you know, it can often come down to recategorizing what happened or providing additional information or at the very least understanding why the culture assimilated that signal in the way that it did. Yeah, giving at least the honor, honoring people around you to like what other perspective could they? Maybe, yeah, it's the classic, you know, well, that wasn't my intention. Well, it doesn't matter. That's what it looked like or that's what I believed or that's what I, that's what I understood. So therefore I'm right and, you know, that's the way it is. Interesting. So engaging in something like this and again, I feel like I'm stating the obvious, but this is not a checkbox exercise. This isn't a one and done. This is an ongoing organic approach that companies need to commit to. And I'm just thinking about what we're going through in Calgary in terms of change and we're talking a lot about change and we're talking about all the things we need to do differently, but yet changing a culture and changing belief structures is what we're really talking about. That can happen overnight, but it often takes a while. And you have to prove it to me. Like, well, yeah, okay, I see what you're doing here. I like it. Mm, I'm still maybe a bit skeptical. And again, humans, we're always assessing the kind of the risk profile of the environment, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> 100%. And again, you know, that shouldn't be surprising. Look, you know, in the spirit of when this podcast is being recorded, I mean, some incredible business news yesterday, the merger of Shaw, Shaw Communications and Rogers. I mean, that's an incredible piece of business news. And certainly as I, as I was reading through that press release, a significant boost for the Calgary and sort of Western Canada markets mm -hmm. in terms of infrastructure investment, in terms of job creation, in terms of opportunities for, for consumers on the ground. I mean, these are two remarkable organizations. The interesting thing as I was reading that is wondering what's going to happen with those two cultures that have grown up independently, both family run, family owned, you know, both remarkably successful in their own rights independently. And now you've got two families coming together, two significant families coming together. So I'm intrigued to see how that culture that merging of cultures, that assimilation of cultures is going to work, work out. I've been fortunate enough to, to do some work with both organizations at, at different times. But do you very much see that they have a culture of success themselves? So I am intrigued to see how that's going to play out. But again, I think that's a macro view of what I imagine many Calgary business leaders are looking at every day. What is the culture I need here inside my organization to succeed? And I think that to me, that is, that is the pivotal second question that you've got to answer. The first question is, what does success look like? The second question is, do we have a culture that can enable that success to occur? It's interesting. Yeah. The, the, the Shaw Rogers example I was listening to this morning and, to your point around culture, it's just resonating with me now with a different filter as you've kind of laid it out. 
well, they said it's going to create more jobs, but we know that's typically not what happens. Oh, we know that now they're going to increase our rates and that the, that the Western Canadian consumer is going to be even in worse shape. And then they had the expert on talking about how bad Canada is positioned as a monopoly when it comes to our digital and our internet. And it was so interesting. There was the immediate other side of like, well, wait a second. We know what happens when there's a merger. We've seen this before. Actually, there's job cuts. So this thing about job creation, we're pretty skeptical. So to your point, the culture, the, all those filters kicked in immediately. And you know, CBC was showcasing them this morning of going, well, here's all the counterpoints. And it was typically a little bit more negative than, wow, this is going to be great. Infrastructure, jobs, mm, I don't know. We're, we're concerned. And that was such a good example of like, we've seen this before and that's not what happened. So we don't really believe you. Even, even though these are two very credible organizations that have done nothing but bring us together. And like, again, our internets, our phones are essential services now. These companies are responsible for that. 100%. And, and I, don't, I don't for a moment believe that anybody at the Rogers organization or certainly uh, anybody I know within the Shaw organization isn't fundamentally aware of the culture component in making this all work. Again, not to, you know, not to put, to use a false equivalency, but, you know, two royal families coming together to, you know, when princes and, you know, at the risk of using Meghan and, uh, Meghan and Prince William with Oprah, but, you know, the reality is, is these are two organizations who have a history of success. And what does success breed? That when we act and behave in, in the following ways, good things happen. Rogers has a great history of that. When we act and behave in a following way, we achieve success in the marketplace. Sure, the same. When we act and behave in the following ways, we achieve success in the marketplace. The interesting thing for me is going to be how now do we act together to create even more success for this organization that we're going to become? And to me, that's inherently about culture. How much thought, uh, again, we're completely prophesizing here, you know, how much thought do you think has been put into that change management piece? And I've heard from a lot of people that work in, you know, transformations, transitions, mergers, that oftentimes that can be an afterthought depending on, depending on the organization and everything gets done. And the, again, finance gets brought to the table and the competitive nature and are we going to have any issues there? And oh yeah, oh, don't forget, oh shit, don't forget culture. I, you know, you'd like to think in an organization, two organizations of that size who have very success-oriented cultures, that that bunch of that work would be done but I'm just speculating for the sake of it's you and I in the microphone so we can speculate on how much planning and thinking that would have been done there or, or is it that, okay, now that we're in bed together, let's start working on it now. I have, no, I have no doubt that this was one of the fundamental things set in the middle of the boardroom table as these organizations were discussing it. Let's put some numbers on the table. It's a $26 billion deal based on what I see based on what I've read in the press. That is no small potatoes in any market. Even south of the border, $26 billion is a significant deal. So I have no doubt, and there's some incredibly smart, incredibly passionate, and certainly incredibly compassionate people inside both of those organizations who will recognize and know that we won't make this happen. We won't deliver the results to the market if our people are not committed to making this happen. That is not lost on anybody in that boardroom table. The interesting thing will be how they get to that, how they get to 
an understanding of their respective cultures, an understanding of the culture that they seek in the future, and how they determine what that will require from current Rogers employees and current Shore employees. What's the modifications and refinements for those people who again have a history of looking for signs inside their organization and going, when I act like this, this is what happens. Now they're acting on an entirely different playing field. So how that's communicated, how that is shared, how that is lived in the months and years ahead will be the proof of how much work went into it. And as, as the public, you know, stay tuned for your, the marketers to show up to start giving you the outward-facing view of that, and that will follow by your customer service experience and your, then you as a customer, and you know, it, it will all, you know, you, you'll, we'll know a year from now of how it worked out based on how we feel as individuals. It's curious, taking this up a notch, and we're down, in, we're down at, the, at, at the company level, what do we talk about Canada? What do we talk about East, West, maybe even provincially? You're in Toronto. I'm in Calgary. We have cultures. So I'm curious, you know, part of Beyond the Echo is going out, escaping from the village, going, getting some information and bringing it back. So curious from your view of being someone in Toronto, again, from South Africa, what do you see when you look at Canadian culture and when you maybe look a little bit East or West or when you come and you deal with Calgarians or Albertans versus, you know, people from Ontario or Torontonians. What do you see from a cultural perspective or what are some of the traits that show up for you? Did we, did we mention the carnival component about Calgary earlier? You did. Just, early, I, yes, you did. I, I just, absolutely. So culturally, just, we, we, we're, we embrace meat. I heard that one early on. Okay. And I'm not really sure that beneath that there's really anything more substantive that I can add uh, in terms of my <laughs> adoration for, for Calgary. Um, I, 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 think, I see where your commitment lies, sir. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Unequivocal. Um, at the risk of jumping on stereotypes, I have always been uh, fascinated by that Western Canada can-do attitude. Always. Um, and, and I'd certainly, not to say that it doesn't exist in Eastern Canada, and certainly anybody who's suffered a Montreal winter would attest to it, but, you know, in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, you know, even in BC, you know, the, these are provinces that have taken a hard knock economically. Um, but there is a resilience, there is an adaptability, there is a can-do uh, in those provinces, which is incredibly remarkable. And for me, I, I, you know, if, if I think about that from an organizational culture perspective, that always strikes me as, a little tinder, a little spark that I wonder if, if uh, we ignite enough, if we let loose and unleash enough that can-do attitude. Now, again, I've been fortunate. The, the organizations I've had professional dealings with over the years absolutely very much get that, and it's embedded in, in their cultures and the way that they behave. Um, but I do wonder if we unleash that Western Canada can do as much as we could. And I, I very much appreciate that it can be hard over possibly a decade of economic turmoil to continue to be resilient and continue to get up and, and go another round in the ring. But I do think that that is the one thing that Western Canada does in spades and I do think that that is part of Western Canada that I absolutely adore. 
No, that entrepreneurial, that get her, that get her, get her done. You know, I didn't. I learned that when I moved here, and you know, I think one of our superpowers is our ability and our willingness to help each other in the, in that journey. And not that that doesn't happen back east, but there always felt like there was a bit of layer to get through. Where here, culturally, you can call someone up at almost any level of any organization, being broad, and you'll get a response, and they'll refer you, or they'll take a few minutes to chat with you. And there's a culture of open door here that I, I feel is a huge advantage because if you're going to go through economic transformation, a bunch of closed doors doesn't lead you anywhere to your point but that commitment to each other is really interesting i love the word commitment that's certainly one out of all the takeaways i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna leave with for our from our conversation enablement gets thrown around and you know culture gets thrown around but you know are you do you have a committed group of individuals committed to what you know fill in the blank but that level of commitment that we have in alberta and and the podcast i'm very spoiled because i tend to talk to individuals that live right in the crossroads of that commitment and they are themselves committed so you get my cognitive bias is constantly being fueled by talking to those types of individuals. But since starting the podcast, I believe even the last year and a half, Calgary is committed to this economic transformation. Calgary is committed to being more technologically advanced, being more culturally diverse to attract more talent here. There is a level of commitment that I know maybe isn't everywhere, but it does seem to permeate a lot of the conversations that I'm having, which damn well we, we need it or else we're not going to get out of it. We're not going to get to the other side in the way we want it to happen. Time will pass, but what's the outcome of it? Well, Tyler, I, so I would go back to that commitment is a spectacular objective. And if it is if it is ripe and rife inside every organization in Calgary, in Western Canada, then I would suggest that they will be an unstoppable economic force. I suppose I come back to the question of if they're not, and let's be real clear, what do we believe commitment is? What do we believe it looks like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does it feel like to be inside an organization that's committed? And committed to what? Committed to getting what done? I think we could all, for a moment, know because it's our lived experience or expect or anticipate what that would feel like. How incredibly motivating, empowering, delightful it would be to walk into that environment even if that is your home office while we're all working remotely. But to feel that from the organization that you work inside will be unparalleled. But again, I come back to that question. If you don't have it, why don't you? What is getting in the way of your people? What has history taught them? What has the current circumstance shown them? And what are you doing day by day to reinforce reasons that get in the way of that commitment? That would be the question to ask. Great objective. Therein lies the hard work. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's a fantastic objective and I strongly endorse and encourage it. But what's getting in the way? Do we know? And are we prepared to get those things out of the way? What will that require of us as leaders? Do we need to be more vulnerable? Do we need to trust more? Do we need to micromanage less? I don't know. And it will be case by case. But the question still remains. What is in the way of getting the full commitment of your culture? End of story. I like, I like what you said, the examples you gave there of what's getting in the way, you know, am I more vulnerable? Am I, a lot of this is that there's a deep self-reflection as a leader, as a leader, as individuals and as a leadership team of, you know, what, because m- maybe what's getting in the way is, is me. 
and, and my actions and how I, and how I show up. And there's a, I think there's, it's nice to leave on that of there's a level of personal responsibility that needs to be taken on about being vulnerable. And, you know, I know we re we're really inclusive here, but, but I, but no, no, I'm, I'm not, that doesn't apply to me. You know, the whole leading by example, isn't the best way. It's the only way kind of mindset. And that's a scary bit of business because now you're, now you're going down the deep rabbit hole of self-awareness. <laughs> well, Tyler, I would also, I would balance that as well with, but those are questions for everybody inside the organization. You know, we, we, we put a significant influence and scrutiny on the leaders. And that's understandable. They get paid for it. They get paid to be under the spotlight. They are the ones who are ultimately held accountable for the success or the failure of an organization. You don't read about the middle managers in a press release about an organization that failed. You don't. You know, you read about the leadership. So let, let, let's not let's not underestimate that the leaders have a have a cross to carry and water to carry on this front. But every single individual has a responsibility too. You and I as employees get to look in the mirror and say, what is my level of commitment? What's getting in the way of that? What am I signaling to my colleagues and team members and people that report to me or I collaborate with? What am I signaling to them? Am I signaling full and un unequivocal commitment or am I holding back? And if I am, why? So absolutely, self-awareness, but it has to be self-awareness through the organization. And then if you want the commitment, then again, it's what are we going to do to bring that commitment to bear. I love the idea of just surfacing that with that kind of self-awareness because oftentimes that discretionary effort gets retracted and we don't even know why. We don't even realize we have. Like, oh, you're acting different. Oh, I, I didn't even know because a series of circumstances and our behavior, you know, slowly and then all of a sudden, just like hearing you ask those questions, you know, in front, in front of the mirror, that's an interesting journey. And I, I love the commitment of like, we're, we're all in this together. And yes, it starts with leadership and their commitment or, or bringing it forward of even posing those questions. But you're right, it does string up and down the whole organization, which the, the cross to bear, but you know, culture is something you're going to be part of, not that you're going to like, you can't delegate to someone or make happen that way. 100%. Milton, hugely thought-provoking today. I really appreciate uh, your candor, the color, and the, clearly the passion you bring to this topic. You made a couple references of, you know, I'm th I always want people to, you know, what, what, what do I do now? You mentioned Stan Slap. Uh, books, like, wh where do you recommend? I'm motivated now. I'm inspired. Where do I go? Where do I start my journey? Well, I would lie if I didn't say, you need to slavishly follow me on LinkedIn. Okay, so now we've gotten... Self-promotion is 100% uh, encouraged uh, at this portion of the podcast, if I, not all of it. <laughs> I, I tell you what, you know, please exit through the gift shop and I have t-shirts and coffee mugs and all that sort of garbage. Um, no, I mean, there are, there are some remarkable individuals doing some remarkable work in this area. Um, certainly Stan Slap, uh, who's got two best-selling books out. You can find those on Amazon. Uh, are certainly cornerstones for me. Uh, Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code, is another one that I go back to time and again. It's just a remarkable reference uh, for me uh, about great organizations. Marcus Buckingham, The Nine Lies About Work. Again, are this, there's just some remarkable, provocative, and unapologetic people writing in this space. Uh, so I firmly encourage everyone listening to this to reach out and uh, listen to their, their work, get their books, 
and take the time, I think, to take the time to read them, but then reflect on that themselves individually. You know, it's one thing to read the book and go, oh, that's, that's great, but that's for an organization and it means nothing to me. I don't work there or I don't work in that industry. I think all of those books require introspection from the reader, introspection from the leader to go, how could I bring some of this inside my organization and be willing to say, thank you. That's the objectivity I've been looking for, not the subjectivity perhaps that I've carried all these years. No, I, I really do appreciate your positioning of, yes, this is required for your leadership team and to, to participate, but this is a team sport and that no matter what role you play in an organization, you have a part to play in this and being aware and asking yourself those questions. Because I have seen that, well, we're waiting for, we're waiting for signals or we're waiting for, and that, again, that's culture, for the leadership team to tell us or to show or you know, they might say this, but we see them doing that. I love bringing everybody together and go, hey, we're, 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 all, we're all on the boat together. So let's, let, let's, read, let's read the same books and go through the same journey of which might be awkward for some all maybe 100% but I don't know another way forward I think Tyler if I if I was to leave anybody listening to this podcast with with something your strategy is an excellent sense of your direction but your culture is how it's going to get executed and if all you've got is a strategy that can't be executed you've got a great powerpoint so you've got to get your culture engaged and committed. And I will say unequivocally, your culture has the potential. Your culture has the skills. Your culture has the capability to do whatever it is you require. They just need to know why they should be committed to it. That's the task. And I think it's within grasp of any leader and any executive to unlock that. Mic drop moment right there. <laughs> Exit Hilton through Barber, the gift thank shop. You for, Exit through yeah, the yeah, gift please, shop. Do not forget uh, Hilton Barber. Did I mention Hilton Barber? Hilton Barber. Uh, Google it. Check it out. Follow on LinkedIn. Check out your website. You've got some great blogs up recently that I, that I read, which as a leader or any, any level of team member were quite inspiring. Sir, thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for the time you spent today. And I really enjoyed chatting with you. I had a great time. Right back at you, Tyler. And honestly, thank you for what you're doing, mate. I think just to be a beacon of what's coming out of Western Canada, what's coming out of Calgary, what's coming out of that incredible city. Thank you for that. I think we don't know enough, certainly out in the East Coast. I don't think we know enough of the brilliant people that are out there. So thank you for the work that you're doing. You know, Calgary, Western Canada, remarkable, remarkable environments. So thank you for bringing a spotlight to that, mate. So job well done. Keep it up. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it.